Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, the 20th chapter. In the 19th, we saw Christ coming in power and great glory. The battle of Armageddon took place. The beast and the false prophet that had caused so much trouble during the tribulation period were taken and and uh, cast alive into the lake of fire and brimstone. That's uh, in the 20th verse of the 19th chapter. And uh, now we come to the 20th chapter. <clears throat> and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. There's an angel comes down from heaven, and you, if you remember, Jesus Himself said that He has the key of death and hell in the first chapter. Let me read it for you. In verse 18, He says, I am He that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. So, uh, the angel, either Christ or someone under His authority, has a key to the bottomless pit, and he has a great chain in his hand. It says, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. We already find in the 20th verse of the last chapter that the beast and the false prophet were cast into the lake of fire, but the devil is set in chains. For a thousand years. He's going to be reserved for a thousand years. A millennium. Uh, millennium in the uh, Greek means a thousand years. It has to do reference to a thousand years. There were others already chained in, in Jude verse 6. If you look at the book of Jude verse 6, it says this. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. The angels that sinned in the beginning are reserved in chains. In the book of Second Peter, I believe it's chapter two and verse four. Let's see if it is. Second Peter chapter two and verse four it says. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And now Satan is taken, the dragon, on their place in Revelation 20, verse 2. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. He's spoken of under all these various terms. He's the dragon for cruelty. He is uh, the serpent. And that means the seducer. He is the devil. The devil is the tempter. Remember, Jesus was tempted of the devil in the great temptation. He is, a, he is Satan, meaning the adversary. So you have cruelty, you have seducer, you have tempter, you have adversary. He is uh, called a thief. He is called a liar. He is called a roaring lion. Peter says, 
Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So he's ever on the job trying to destroy. We read in the 12th chapter of Revelation that he is the accuser of the brethren in verse 10. Let me read verse 9 and 10 of the 12th chapter. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. He is the one that accuses us before God. So, all of these things apply to that evil, devil, dragon, serpent, Satan, in all our terms to describe him. He's a thief and a liar and a roaring lion, and Paul talks about him as an angel of light. Some people are looking for the devil with a with a pointed ears and a pitchfork tail and red all over, you know. It's not the devil. It says he's transformed himself into an angel of light. And so are his apostles and his servants transformed into ministers of righteousness. So, if we take all these things in consideration, it does make a difference what people hear and what they believe and who they hear it from. People are looking for uh, the wolf as a wolf. But Jesus said the wolf will be in sheep's clothing. And He said, by their fruits ye shall know Him. He didn't say by their suits, did He? said, by their fruits ye shall know them. What they stand for, what they believe, what they teach, and, and what they are, really. What they are. Their character, their person, their individual. That's how you'll know them. And uh, so here, the devil is laid hold upon. And verse 3 says, And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, now look, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So he's put, in, he's put out a commission for a thousand years. He's in chains. He's imprisoned for a thousand years. And he's going to be let loose after the thousand years are finished. To try to do his deceitful work again. And go out and deceive, verse 7 says, go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. You see, the thousand years, the nations are not in a glorified state during this millennial reign. They're not in a glorified state. There are nations all over the world. And for a thousand years, you know, you talk about population... Imagine how much population you can have in a thousand years. And why there will be opportunity for the devil to try to deceive people who through this time, this day and age of peace and righteousness we're talking about in the millennium on the earth, this rule and reign of Christ and the multitudes of nations and people that are uh, will be present after the thousand years are over, think of the fact that the devil will have plenty to work upon. Some people have a great problem saying, well, you know, where are all these people coming from? Well, a thousand years, you can quite populate a pretty good uh, portion of the world. 
we know that the way our uh, uh, population is growing in the earth today, it's almost uh, astounding how fast and how many people, sometimes even in our own country, we get in a big city and we wonder where all these people came from. And we're just talking about a speck upon the face of our nation. Well, that's all we're talking about. One little place. In fact, in Rio Dosa, I can hardly get up and down the street anymore. And I know this is supposed to be uh, isolated in a hillbilly town and so on and so forth. But it's getting more populated, isn't it? So, you don't have any problem having people to reach uh, with the gospel after the, the uh, millennium. And you don't have any problem having people that will be deceived either. And the devil is going to make his last attempt to deceive the people of after the thousand year reign of righteousness upon this earth that we find here in this 20th chapter. By the way, I didn't give you a division of this, but if you want to copy it down, there's only five, five points, I think, and it would be very beneficial to you. Verses 1 through 3 is the binding of Satan. The binding of Satan, verses 1 through 3. If you have a margin in your Bible, that's where I write mine. And then right up beside verse 4, the reign of Christ and His saints for a thousand years. And that's verses 4 through 6. Drop on down to verse 7. Satan is loosed, verses 7 through 9. This is the last revolt that is made. Verses 7 through 9, Satan loosed. And then, verse 10 by itself, Satan's eternal doom. You find his eternal doom in verse 10. And verses 11 through 15, the great white throne judgment. Let me give you those again. The binding of Satan, verses 1 through 3. The reign of Christ and His saints for a thousand years, verses 4 through 6. Satan loosed, verses 7 through 9. Satan's eternal doom, verse 10, one verse. And then the great white throne judgment, verses 11 through 15. If you didn't get all that, I can give it to you some other time. Or you can ask and I'll give you the point after the service. We've already seen in verses 1 through 3, uh, the binding of Satan. So he's bound for a thousand years and till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. It says that right in verse 3. Now then, verses 4 through 6, the reign of Christ and His saints for a thousand years. It says in verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. Now here you have a, a group of people that are sitting on thrones of judgment. The Bible teaches that the saints, uh, Paul says, Know ye not that the saints shall judge the world? We will sit on thrones of judgment during that time. Back in the book of Revelation chapter 3, at the end of the letters to the seven churches, it says in verse 21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. By the way, I want you to notice the way this is uh, worded, this verse. Revelation 3, verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit, S-I-T, 
with me in my throne. Even as I also overcame and am set, S-E-T, placed, set down, not sat down, but set, placed down with my Father in His throne. So that we will have a place uh, of authority. Uh, because the Lord will give us a place where we will be seated and we'll be placed there. And it's talking about the ones that are resurrected. We'll get into the resurrection there in just a moment. But if you remember back in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and, uh, and uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the dead in Christ rise and we'll get into the resurrections in just a moment. But those that are already with the Lord from chapter 4 of Revelation, when we see that all the church, uh, the saints of this day and age of grace will be with the Lord in the fourth chapter and will be with the Lord until He comes back and we just read it in the 19th chapter. And then we're going to have this time of, of peaceful rule and reign of righteousness with Christ the King of kings and Lord of lords and head over all of it. And we're going to sit on thrones of judgment with Him. And judgment was given to them. By the way, we have said some things in time past that I need to remind you now that from Revelation 19 onward, we do have more or less a chronological order. Remember, we have tried to steer you away from everything being in sequence and a chronological order up till the 19th chapter. But when you get to the 19th chapter, you can basically say that they do happen one thing right after another. That there is a sequence, a chronological sequence. But these other things that we've studied uh, from the 6th chapter on through the 18th chapter, if you'll remember, we talked about the fact that all of it was not given in exact chronological order. But when you get to the 19th, you'll find that it is very much so. So we've already talked about in the 19th chapter of Christ coming back in power and great glory, the saints coming with Him, the 20th chapter, uh, the millennial reign, the 21st chapter, we see the new heavens and new earth, the 22nd chapter is the final uh, condition and eternal state of things. And it's also included in the 21st chapter, but we enter into the eternal state of things. So here in verse 4, first of all, identify these that are present with Christ and His reign upon the earth. First one we said, and I saw thrones and they that sat upon them. You have Revelation 20 verse 4, always hold your place where we're studying. And judgment was given unto them. And we've already identified that as the saints of God that are resurrected when Christ comes in power, and when Christ comes for His own and then He comes back in power and great glory. We're still with Him. And then it says in verse 4, And I saw, notice, I saw thrones. Now, and I saw, so this is another group. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. Stop there a moment. So you have the martyred saints of the tribulation period. They were also there. The saints of this day and age of grace are there, seated upon thrones, judgment given to them. The martyred saints of the tribulation, those that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, that did not worship the beast, 
Neither his uh, image, neither received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. Now look, in the last statement, and they, that is both companies, lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So all the saints of this day and age of grace, as well as the martyred saints, the tribulation saints we will call them, will all live and reign together with Christ during this thousand year reign. They've been with Him uh, since they were martyred and taken up to heaven during the tribulation period. The saints of this day and age of grace were with Him already before the tribulation began. And then, when it's over and the millennium starts, they both, all, will live and reign with Christ. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And now... It says, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. Let's stop there. The rest of the dead. Who are the rest of the dead? The rest of the dead or the wicked dead. The wicked dead will not live again until the thousand years are finished. And when we get, before we get through with this chapter, we'll see that there's a resurrection of the wicked dead and they stand before that great white throne judgment. So there's not a general judgment. There's not a ju- You and I do not have to stand before that great white throne judgment. We will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's no more a general judgment than there's a general resurrection. Because here we see there's a distinction between resurrections. Well, there's also a distinction between judgments. So here, it tells us that the rest of the dead live not again. Uh, live not again until the thousand years were finished. And we'll read that later on. On down. It says, this is the first resurrection. So what we've been talking about is the first resurrection. The next resurrection, the rest of the dead, will be another resurrection. Even in this chapter, we'll be told of it. So, what constitutes the first resurrection? The dead in Christ of this day and age of grace... That's the first part of it. The martyred saints, that's another part of the first resurrection. And we have both of them mentioned here. Uh, Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So Christ is the first fruits of the first resurrection. He's the first fruits. It says, For since by man came death, by man also came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Look at this. Christ the first fruits, verse 23, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Afterward. They that are Christ at His coming. They'll be resurrected. Christ is the first fruits and He's the guarantee of more just like His resurrection at His coming. And that's what we study when we study First Thessalonians chapter 4 where it says the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain. So that's His coming. He comes for His own. In there, First Thessalonians chapter 4, let me read it for you. Verse 13, 
But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that's the dead in Christ, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. That's not His coming in 19 of Revelation, but that's His coming in power, uh, that's His coming for the saints, not with the saints. There are two phases of Christ's coming. So He's going to come in the air for us. The coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that means to proceed or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So there's going to be a resurrection. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? Not on the earth but in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the equivalent of Revelation chapter 4. When John was called up into heaven, he pictures that rapture of the saints of this day and age of grace. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then in Revelation 19, when He comes back, we will come with Him. We have to... He comes for us, and then He comes, we, he comes with us. He comes for us, and we meet Him where? Not on the earth, but in the air. That's what we call the rapture. Being caught up. Uh, so, when we're studying here in the 20th of Revelation, look at it again. <clears throat> in verse uh, 5, But the rest of the dead live not again, and the rest of the dead are those that are resurrected at the great white throne judgment. The rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now it says in verse 6, look at this. Blessed and holy is he that hath part. Notice it says hath part in the first resurrection. Which part do we have? The believers of this day and age of grace will have part when Christ comes for his own. The martyrs of the tribulation will have part when they're resurrected in the tribulation period. So, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And it says, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. It's more or less repeated what we've already studied. But what does it mean when it, on them the second death has no power? Those that have part in the first resurrection, the believers of this day and age of grace, and the martyred saints of the tribulation, all that are uh, with Jesus in glory and come back with Him to reign in the millennium reign, the thousand year reign that we're talking about. It says, On such the second death hath no power. Look, it's 21, chapter 21. Glance over there, verse 8. We're talking about the second death. The second death. Verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But this has no power over whom? Over you and I and over the martyred saints of the tribulation. On such the second death hath no power. I'm grateful for that. You know, Jesus said, 
Verily, verily, John 5, verse 24, write it down. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Now listen. And shall not come into condemnation. That word is judgment. The final great judgment. Like the great white throne. Shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. On such, the second death hath no power. We talk about John 5 verse 24 that I gave you. Exemption from judgment. Present possession of eternal life. He hath, has everlasting life. And he shall not come into judgment. That's exemption from it. But is passed from death into life. And many people wonder why Baptists believe in security of the believer. There's a pretty good answer for it. It said those uh, that are that have eternal life in Christ shall not come into judgment. Well, that's pretty good. And already passed from death into life, that's better because we know we haven't passed from physical death into life, so we've passed from spiritual death into life, right? And if we have eternal life, and we have part in the first resurrection, which we shall have, on such the second death hath no power, that's pretty good security, isn't it? That is pretty good security. And most people that accuse Baptists of of having such a doctrine or teaching as eternal security of the believer just do not understand what the Bible teaches about security. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Some belong to Him. We belong to Him. He's bought. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we belong to the Lord. Well, you know, if He has possession of us, He has a claim on us that the devil cannot claim. He may try to come in and accuse, but He cannot claim. He cannot claim God's people. Old Job of old experienced the accusations of Satan, didn't he? Satan said, well... You know, you've got a hedge built around him. And he certainly did. And God said to Satan, you can go so far, but you touch not, you cannot have his body. You cannot have him. You cannot touch his soul. He belongs to me, in other words. And the devil was permitted, Satan was permitted to, to cause Job all kinds of trouble. He lost all of his finances, all of his material possessions. He lost his family. All of his sons and daughters. His wife turned against him and said, curse God and die. He still maintained his integrity. And God gave Job twice as much at the end as he had at the beginning. And if you read the record in the last chapter of the book of Job, you'll find that he gave him, now listen carefully, it says twice as much. you he gave him twice as many camels and, and uh, asses and, uh, and camels and uh, all the oxen and all the cattle and everything. Twice as much. But he also gave him seven sons and three daughters. Well, you say, well, preacher, that's not twice as many. That's the same amount he had. Yes, but he still had those that were going on to heaven. He gave him twice as many. He still had double. Because you see, animals do not have a soul or a spirit. 
and go to be with God. But his children went to be with God. And he still had double amount of family. Because we have not lost those that have gone on to be with the Lord. They're just in a different place. They still belong to us. They're still ours. And so God's Word is very unique and very definite. He doesn't make mistakes in His Word. He tells it just exactly like it is. He says He gave him twice as much when the critic comes along and said, well, he didn't have twice as many children. Yes, he did because he still had the others. They were just in a different place. So you add them up and see if there's not twice as many. Same amount of double. And God knows what He's doing when He tells us in His Word. And that's why I pointed out just a moment ago when Jesus said, I'm... He, I'm to sit with my Father on His throne and, and even as I am set, He was set or placed. Tells us that when He went out up into the mountain and when He was set, S-E-T, when He was placed there exactly in a position to preach to the people. Doesn't say when He, when he sat, but when He was set, then He preached to them. He took His position, in other words. S-E-T means being placed in a certain position. Alright, let's go on with this. Verse 6, look at it. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. I mean, verse 5. I'm reading verse 5. Beg your pardon. rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. The Bible tells us we shall reign as kings and priests, and shall reign with Him a thousand years. Now verse 7. Here we come from 7 through 9. Satan is loosed. We call this the last revolt. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Remember in verse 2, he was put in, verse 2 and 3 was put in prison till the thousand years were over. And now he's going to be loosed out of his prison when the thousand years finished. And verse 8, And shall go out to deceive the nations. He hasn't changed. A thousand years in, in the bottomless pit with a seal set upon him doesn't change his nature. He's still the same old devil, isn't he? Satan, the dragon. You talk about uh, him changing he doesn't repent. He doesn't do anything but remain exactly the same. He is the deceiver. He is the seducer. He is cruel. Jesus said the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what the devil tries to do. And he tries to steal what belongs to God. He tries to kill God's people. Not only physically but spiritually. And he tries to destroy God's people. That's the business of the devil today when he goes out into uh, our communities, into our cities, and where there's drugs and alcohol. And he has various means of stealing and killing and destroying. And he's full on the job. Look at all the things that have happened on the, and we see it on the news day by day. You know who that's the work of the devil? It's doing all those things. And He uses people. 
He uses people, human beings. In fact, sometimes he even tries to use Christians. If, the, if it were not for God's grace uh, in the lives of his people, well, he would definitely use them more so. You say, preacher, where do you get that? 16th chapter of Matthew. Jesus said, whom do men say that I am? Then he said to Peter, whom do you say that I am? And what did Peter say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Peter, I say unto thee that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And a little later on in the same chapter, Jesus tells he's going to, to be betrayed, go to, he's going to be crucified. The same chapter, listen carefully, a few verses down, not many verses down. And Peter says, this will never be so, Lord. And Jesus had to turn to Peter and said, what did he say? Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou severest not, you do not understand, thou severest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. I thought, I thought, Peter, you were filled with the Holy Spirit and you recognized Christ as the Son of the living God. Yes, you were, but in a few moments, he was trying to disrupt the plan and purpose of God. And Jesus said, that's not of, that's not of God, that's of the devil. You see how fickle people can be? We have to submit to the purpose and the plan of God. Even though if it's not very pleasing. I know Peter's human feelings. He was that, I don't want you to go, Lord. I don't want you to be betrayed. I don't want you to be killed and, and all these things happen to you. But Jesus said that the devil's purpose was to try to stop him in what he was determined to do. And that is to be crucified. Excuse me, be crucified for our sins and bear the judgment of our sins. We have to understand the plan and purpose of God to know what is right and the will of God. Now, look at this verse again. You have it, verse uh, 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Now, notice it says Gog and Magog. Russia has been identified with these in the book of Ezekiel and in other passages of Scripture. But, I believe that really the battle of Armageddon includes them, which has already happened, but this is after the millennium. And though Russia may be involved in, the, in all of these nations, but there will be, it may be, that these that represent all of Israel's antagonists, not only Russia, that you can identify back in the book of Ezekiel, and the kings of the north, and then the kings of the east, the kings of the sunrise that we've already talked about, that came against the Lord in this battle of Armageddon that we studied in the 19th chapter already. But these may well represent, not literally, just Russia, but all those that are Israel's old antagonists and all the nations that are against God. Notice, he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. If they're in the four quarters of the earth, and then he says Gog and Magog, he's only using them as representative in this time, at this time of all nations that are against his people. 
Because he's going out to deceive all of them. To gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So God is going to put an end to the devil and all of his work at some particular time. We do not know how many people will be deceived. It's his last attempt. It's his last revolt. Because verse 10 shows his final doom in the 10th verse. Look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil that deceived them. The devil that deceived them. Who's the them? Those that he deceived of the nations. How much success he has, we don't know. How many will believe the truth, we do not know. But we know that there will be still the opposition to the truth of Christ and to the the, uh, deception of Satan after this millennial reign, a millennium reign is over, after the thousand year reign is over of peace and righteousness. I don't want to hurry through this, but I would like to remind you that if you'll remember, the Bible teaches that this thousand year reign that we've been studying about with the saints of God upon this uh, earth with that rule and reign with Christ, there are many other aspects of it than we just touched upon in this passage of Scripture. The book of Isaiah tells us the nature of that reign. That the wolf and the lamb shall lie down together. The, the lion shall eat straw like a, a bullock, like a, a cow or cattle. And they will not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. And he tells us in the 65th chapter, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. But he says that the serpent, the child can put his hand upon the serpent's den and will not be harmed. And yet the serpent will have to crawl on its belly and dust shall be the serpent's meat. Even through the millennium, when peace and righteousness reign, there will be a reminder that the devil is still the devil. And there will be a reminder, even though the vileness and the poisonous of the snake, that's a reminder of Satan. He's spoken of in those terms. That he will still try to come out and deceive after the thousand year reign of peace and righteousness. So all during that millennium, he's going to crawl on his belly just like always. As a reminder that the devil is still going to be the deceiver. Now then, if you look at verse 11, it says, and verses 11 through 15 is the last section, it is the great white throne judgment. It says, and I saw the dead small and great stand before God. Notice it's not the living, but the dead. Now then, if the dead, small and great, stand before God, you know it is not talking about a general judgment because already God's people have been with the Lord during the seven years' tribulation. God's people have come back with Him 
back to this earth. And they have lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, so it could not be possibly be the living believers that will be judged. It cannot possibly be you and I. It's the wicked dead. And I saw the dead, not the living, but the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. I have so much to say on these few verses, I've got about five minutes. Some of you don't think that, but I do. Because I didn't get it till 6.30. And so 7.15 is my deadline. And so I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were open. You know, the books are going to be open. Uh, the books of God are going to be open. Remember, Jesus said in John 12, verse 48, let me read this for you. John 12, verse 48. It says this, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word, listen, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. What is it going to judge him in the last day? The books are open. The word of God is going to be open. Some say it's the books of a man's record. Well, I'm sure the record of man's life is going to be taken into consideration because we're uh, told about something else here. It says, And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Now, this may refer to the books of, of the record of man's life according to their works. By the way, someone says, We're going to be judged according to our works. Not me. Not you. You're going to be judged according to His grace. Do you want to be judged according to your works? I don't think so. But the dead in Christ, I mean the dead, uh, the wicked dead will be judged according to their works. A believer will give account of his works at the judgment seat of Christ. He'll give account of his life. He'll give an account of his fellowship. He'll give an account to God. But the wicked dead, want, you know there's people that say, I want God to give me justice. I don't want that. I want grace and mercy. See? And so that's what we're going to get is grace and mercy. And that's why we're with the Lord and live and reign with Him a thousand years. We don't deserve that, but we're clothed in fine linen and clean and white. This is the righteousness of saints. Remember, we studied that in the last chapter. Well, here, these want to be judged according to their works. And they're going to be judged according to their works. Have you ever seen people argue, well, you know, the good in my life is going to outweigh the bad and I'm, my works are going to stand up there before God? I don't mind to stand there. And you'll see that this is not practical for the believer. That's why there's a different judgment here. According to their works. And the sea gave up the dead. The sea. All the dead are in the sea. And death and hell. That means the grave and hell or Hades. Death means where the where the bodies are, and hell means where the spirits are. It is the place between the state between death and resurrection for the wicked. Hades. And it says, The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell gave, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell, they become personified here, the people of death and hell, were Cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. We talked about, and the, as far as the believers are concerned, on such 
the second death, those that have part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. Well, if, if that is true, on such the second death hath no power, this could not possibly be, <coughs> excuse me, the judgment for believers. It could not be a general judgment for all of mankind, because part of mankind, part of the people of this earth, are believers. And if the believers, on such the second death, hath no power, then this couldn't be talking about you and I, could it? He's talking about some on whom the second death has power. So, death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the final proof their name was not found written in the book of life. And therefore, they are saying, God says, you're not here. You're not, you're not recorded. You're not in the book of the uh, Lamb of God. They were slain before the foundation of the world. So therefore, they were excluded. Now let me give you quickly, in closing, there are judgments, many judgments in the Bible. This is the great white throne judgment. Even in the New Testament, there is the judgment of the cross. Let me give you seven. I'll give you seven just as briefly as I can. The first one is the judgment of the cross. That's where our sins were judged. And they were judged in the person of Christ. And because He took the judgment of our sins, we do not have to pay that judgment. Secondly, there is the believer's self-life. The judgment of the believer's self-life. We judge ourselves when we confess our sins. And I won't have time to give you all the Scriptures, but I can give them to you later if you would like them. We judge ourselves when we confess our sins. The Bible does say if we would judge ourselves, we would, we would not be condemned with the world. Okay. And I could give you other things. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ. That is the judgment for believers... At some point in time, after we're taken up, whether it's immediately before Christ comes back to the earth or immediately upon entering heaven, we do not know the exact time of it because we know in the fourth chapter of Revelation there was a throne set in judgment and there was a rainbow round about the throne and the saints of God are represented there. It could take place immediately. It could take place before He comes back in power and great glory at the marriage of the Lamb. But we know it will take place in heaven, and that will be the believer's judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. And then there's the judgment of the living nations. Jesus speaks of those living nations in Matthew 25. And they're living, they're not the dead. This is not the judgment of living nations we're talking about here. Those living nations are judged. Remember 